0: Good morning. I hope you all are doing all right. Hope everyone's uh, staying healthy. Uh, I know there's a a few things going around, um, but I'm glad to see all of you. It's good to to gather here and and worship together. Uh, For those who don't know me, uh, I'm I'm Norman. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. Um, If you're visiting, uh, welcome. I, I know there's a few visitors here. Who had a very wonderful touristy day. Um, but it's, it's, it's always good to, to have new people come in and, and worship with us. Uh, how's everyone doing? <laughs> I hear great. And I know when we were, a few of us were gathering here this morning for, uh, we usually pray before service starts. Um, without prompting, one of us said, Hi, I'm tired. <laughs> And, and I feel like that captures a lot of how many of us are feeling in this season. Um, I'm tired. I'm, I'm very tired. Um, uh, my family, if some of you know that my family is in the middle of a move, um, we are moving from Woodside, New York to, to Sunnyside, not too far. It's the next neighborhood over. Um, but we've been at it for the last few weeks. So we've kind of slowly moved little things, but yesterday was our move of, big items. Um, so we did rent a U-Haul truck, loaded in there. We had some, uh, some family help us. Um, my body has started feeling its age from this move. Um, most of the time, you guys know that I'm up at the oddest hours, almost like living like a college student. Um, but yeah, the last few weeks, I, I can't do this forever. Um, but we are in a, in a sermon series on rest, <laughs> So I say all that, um, kind of recognizing at the same time that I need to hear this myself. Um, Many of you would tell me, Norman, you need to rest. Um, I knew from the very beginning when we started this series um, at the beginning of the Advent season, uh, at the end of November, that as we're going through this passage, um, I'm not coming before you as like a wise sage. Uh, far from it, uh, but a, a fellow traveler with you in this pursuit of rest. So if you're just joining with us in this series, um, we are in the season of Advent. This is the third Sunday in Advent. Advent, uh, for those of you who may not have grown up with it, Advent is a season that we dig deep, we dig really deep into our human longings. We dig deep into our longings for wholeness, for peace, for peace. Um, for rest, um, the Advent season is associated with Christmas. You know, I I, I get advertisements every, every now and then for uh, here, here's here's the Lego Advent calendar or uh, you know something like that. It is associated with Christmas, but the Advent the Advent season is not associated with Christmas in the same way. The world pushes us towards consumerism. Um, Advent reminds us and and it tunes our awareness to the brokenness of our world. The fact that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And that all of our attempts um, as people to try to make things right, they failed. The Advent season brings us in line with that reality. We need a savior. The Advent season emphasizes our need. Um, so in this series this year, as a, at the close of this year, we're focusing on rest. Everyone wants rest but no one seems to get it, right? No No. No one. Very few people do. You, uh, do you run into like, oh, hey, hi, how are you doing? Where the response is in some form of, I'm tired. We're perpetually exhausted. Uh, some of us, um, I feel like this sometimes. Um, I'm like a, a a dry, brittle sponge, longing for the slightest bit of water just to just to soak up. So this morning, as we start, would you pray with me? as we ask the Lord to shower us from his life-giving word. Would you pray with me? Living water and shepherd of our souls, in this season we come before you with the same heart as the psalmist and as one of the songs I heard this morning, as the deer pants for water. So our souls long for you, O God. This morning, as we come before you, if we hear nothing else, O Lord, let us know your presence is with us. Comfort our weary souls, Emmanuel. Even in silence, would you let us know of your filling presence? that you overwhelm our days with good. We ask that your word this morning would become a wellspring of life to our parched souls. Give us understanding and insight. Give us courage and strength to respond. Holy Spirit, be our guide. Loving Father, would you remind us of your love? And Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, be near this morning. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Would you turn with me uh, to Hebrews 4, uh, verses 8 to 11. That's our text today. I'm going to read this aloud for us. If you could follow along. From verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word of the Lord. We've been in this chapter for a few weeks. This is the third week. Um. And we're looking at the subject of rest. Um, and the very first week we started this series, um, we started off looking at how the author of Hebrews frames rest, uh, frames rest, the rest of the Lord as antithetical to the rebellious hardness of heart of Egypt, right? He grounds a story in Israel's liberation from Egypt, the, the Moses story, if you're familiar with that. There's a rest that God offers his people, one that is in stark contrast to the endless exhaustion of Egypt where God's people were forced to make bricks without straw. We find that same spirit in our, in our day today, right? In a culture that's seemingly unending, unending in its need to produce and to consume but never be satisfied, bricks without straw. In that first week, we find that in the rest of God, fears are stilled, striving cease when we can just just be. We don't have to produce anything. So the word from that first week was to turn from our rebellion and striving for ourselves and turn to God's way of being. Not doing, not producing, not consuming, just being. Last week, um, Pastor Joshua led us to see how the way of rest uh, was not a new concept. Um, The the author of the book of Hebrews wasn't introducing a new concept. Actually, it goes back all the way to creation. Um, It was actually patterned at the very beginning with the consecration of the seventh day. The biblical story of creation speaks of a God who creates order. That's what the whole story is about, God creating order out of chaos. He separates and organizes the material world, right? You know there's, there's the, the earth and the sea, the night and the day. He's organizing things. He's making separations. But God, we learned last week, also separates time. And Joshua said last week that God calls us to observe a Sabbath rhythm, this organization of time, so that we can remember we belong to him. We belong to God. God not to a hardened world where everything is a mushy chaos of striving. We order our time. When we practice Sabbath rhythms, we are conforming our stewardship of time to be like the creator because Sabbath rhythms are both godly and godlike. This week, we move on in our passage that moves us to consider Sabbath in community. Um, If you didn't catch this in our sermon um, titles, it was rebellion and rest, then rest and Sabbath, and today is Sabbath and community. It's kind of like a, a train. Um, so today we're, we'll be focusing primarily on verse 11, um, but it, it follows us on. Um, so together, as we look at this passage, um, I'd like us to look at three things. Um, the, the first, at least to organize our time to, to make organizations out of sometimes chaos, um, to see Uh, For us, one, to expand our understanding of what Sabbath is. The first thing, to expand our understanding of Sabbath. Uh, Two, to imagine together what Sabbath can look like as a community. Two, to imagine together what Sabbath can look like as a community. And three, finally, to underscore why Jesus is essential for us in realizing the Sabbath. So one, to expand our understanding of Sabbath. Two, to imagine together what it could look like for us, what it could feel like. And finally, three, to see why Jesus is essential. Um, so one, and we'll start together, expanding our understanding of Sabbath. Um, if I were to ask you, if we were sat down next to each other, if we were in a conversation, um, and I, if I were to ask you, do you practice Sabbath? Or do you keep Sabbath? I imagine a a few different responses. Um, The first one would be like, oh yeah, yeah, I go to church. I have Sabbath. I I, I go to church on Sunday. Um, Or maybe you would say something along, and I hear this a lot recently, um, at least among people who serve in church, we would say something like, oh, Sunday is actually my busiest day. Um, So I take Sabbath on Monday. Or I take Sabbath on Tuesday, something like that. Or if we don't practice Sabbath, um, you might respond to the question by imagining what Sabbath could look like. Uh, Maybe you would picture, oh, when someone takes Sabbath, they go away for a little while. They go out into out into the wilderness. They go hiking and they pray by big trees. or maybe you would imagine someone taking Sabbath to finally do something they just really enjoy. Like uh, like reading a good book, cozying up, hot chocolate, I don't know, really good coffee. Um, maybe going to a restaurant they really like. Just someone enjoying something. Like, oh, that person's taking a Sabbath day. Right? And of course, these are good things in our busy lives. Um, many of us would do well to take a day off and do those things. We need these things. So I'm not downplaying those at all. But my guess is that for most of us here, probably all of us, I'm almost sure, probably all of us, when we consider Sabbath, we imagine an individual endeavor. We think about Sabbath as something that we do individually. Um, You know, personal refreshment. Uh, a mental health day, just, just for me, a renewal, personal enjoyment. And in keeping with our culture, our culture thinks of it this way, in keeping with our culture's ideals of self-realization, actualization, we imagine the costs of not doing Sabbath to also be personal. Like Sabbath is a very personal thing for many of us, right? If I don't practice Sabbath, I'm not hurting anyone. I just get more tired, if I don't keep Sabbath, it only affects me. So the costs are only on me. Um, thus, sometimes we think it, it, it's up to me whether or not I want to engage in Sabbath. Now, before I, again, before I continue, I, I should add that it's telling that for most of us, when we think about Sabbath, we think about this commandment. This is a commandment from God. We, we take it as a life suggestion. Just as, almost as an aside, I want us to point out this command is in the same list of commands that God says, don't steal, don't murder, don't cheat. We don't take those as suggestions, but for some reason in our world, we take Sabbath as a suggestion. And that should give us pause. Um, I've been thinking about that lately. I just, I just want to put that there. Um, there's definitely an individual component to Sabbath. Um, The individual component of sabbath is there it's the it's the part that we see most clearly because our world thinks about life individually but when we come to scripture when we come to passages like this when we come to actually all of scripture we must always be aware of the lens that we're reading the text in because we're conditioned to understand everything individually if we don't do it it's just on me if i do if i do take sabbath I get blessed. At least that's that's how we think. We're conditioned to understand everything individually. The coffee we choose, to our affiliations, our institutions, everything is our way, it's Burger King, right? But that's not how the law was given. The law was not given to individuals. We must remember that the Sabbath, the, the giving of the law was to a people, Right? Not to individuals. Verse 9 in our passage today says there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's, it's for them collectively. So expand. Our, our understanding of Sabbath is too small. It affects way more than just your life or your family. It needs to be expanded. You see, in, in, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, in a sense, they did get something right about Sabbath. Right? If you read through the Gospels, you know, the, the Pharisees, we often imagine the Pharisees in the Gospels kind of like the Sabbath police. Like they're walking around like, oh, did you lift a finger? Or did you pick up grain off the floor? Like, no, 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 no. Like that's how we imagine the Pharisees. Um, And yes, the, the legalism that the Pharisees engaged in with regard to Sabbath is antithetical to God's heart. As Jesus corrected them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. It was a gift, but somehow it turned into another form of enslavement. But the Pharisees did get this communal aspect of Sabbath right. What they understood in their for the lack of a better word right now, policing of Sabbath, they understood that everyone had to practice it for the commandment of God to be honored. Everyone had to practice it. It wasn't a personal suggestion for living. It was something that God commanded. If you look at the giving of the law, you'll see that Sabbath extended far beyond the individual. It actually doesn't even get to the, it doesn't address the individual. In any meaning, it it talks about a whole society. Um, Let me read, uh, it's in the Exodus 20 passage, but let me read the, the Deuteronomy, the second giving. This is from Deuteronomy 5. It says that, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. Or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock. This is really in the text, if you haven't read this before. Or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Everyone would be resting. Sabbath was for everyone, from the highest to the lowest, even to the ox and to the donkey. Obedience to the Sabbath commandment was to create an atmosphere of Sabbath for everyone to inhale and breathe in deeply. So just in this first point, this expansion that I, that I hope to communicate, I want to expand our understanding of Sabbath because if we only understand Sabbath in terms of our individual obedience or observance, we're missing the point. We're missing it. It extends beyond our preferences. If you don't practice Sabbath, it actually makes it difficult for those around you to practice Sabbath. It makes it difficult for those around you to practice Sabbath. In this series, I'm hoping as we're going through this series on rest, I'm hoping that we as a church can enter into rest together, together, not just individuals you know, making commitments in your, in your lives. Yes, that, but that we would practice this together. At King's Cross, my hope is that when we ask one another, when we're talking with one another, we ask about rest and Sabbath, that we will not only consider our own practices, but we would start asking ourselves, how does my individual practice of Sabbath or, or lack of practice of Sabbath affect those around me? How does it affect those around me? Am I helping to create an atmosphere of Sabbath, as the commandment would say? No one, uh, from the from the from your your servants to your animals to to everyone in your house, everyone in society. Are we helping to create an atmosphere of Sabbath from the least to the greatest? Verse eleven, that we'll look at over and over today, says, "Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall." Our observance of Sabbath is not only for ourselves, it is for everyone. It creates a space that people are invited into by the nature of that space. So just the first point is that let's expand our understanding of Sabbath. It's not just you. But two, how can we imagine what Sabbath looks like for us? What what can Sabbath look like for us as a community? Um, I had mentioned uh, the first week That turning away from the ways of the world, turning away from the way of Egypt, the way of Pharaoh, and and towards God's rest restores us to our humanity. It helps us to be fully who we are, made in God's image. Because in our world, we we constantly need to produce. We need to work. Um, We need to stay informed on the news. I know sometimes when some of you that are members that that get this um, opportunity to, to pray, I know that's the week that many of you just start scouring the news feeds because I can see it in the the outlines. I know not everyone, but I'm just saying, Like sometimes we're so anxious, like, oh, what if I didn't read the news? We're just constantly trying to stay on top of things. If it's not work, it's it's information. It's chaotic, but Sabbath. Sabbath changes our mindset. It puts order to the chaotic demands of the world. It brings us back to the parts of our lives that we neglect for much of the other six days. Now, um, let me be clear. Work is not bad. Work is not bad. God gave gave us work. Work is good. God created and blessed work. When we work, we are also patterning ourselves after God, right? Just as when we rest. But it's when we seem unable to stop working that our souls start to suffer, that we start to—we don't realize it, but we're being formed more like Egypt— than God. We don't always realize that overwork keeps us from relationship, from being present with one another. Um, Let me give you an example of uh, where I have not done presence with others well. Um, And as many of you know, I am a fellow traveler with you in this pursuit of rest, but let me give you an example of a failed example in, in my own life. And then maybe we can imagine together just, just a snippet, and I hope we can take that imagination further like in our life together, but I'll, just a few examples of how we can practice this together, what it could look like, what it can feel like. Um, recently, in the, in the last month or two, um, one of my kids, I won't say who, one of my kids started pointing out to me uh, something about me uh, on a fairly regular basis, um, it's it's been a little bit annoying, but but at the same time, very humbling. It started at the playground. Um, now on the playground, when, when I pick them up, we usually there's a playground behind the school. Uh, at the playground, it, it's usually the space where okay, go play, (laughs) and then I would have my book bag uh, either with a book that I'm uh, reading for work, work, um, or um, I would try to write out sermons like this on my phone or dictate something. I'm I'm busy, I'm trying to do work on a bench while my kids are running around, (laughs) right? Um, But this, this is what would happen. At the playground, she would get up on the monkey bars or she would climb up something really tall and you know hang upside down, or or she would do something that I've seen a million times. I've seen this; it's nothing new. And then she would go, "Dada, look!" And and I would tilt my head. You know, I would catch her eye for a second that she saw that I looked, and, and then I would, "Oh, okay." And and then I would just go back to the book that I'm reading or uh, the the email that I'm writing or whatever it might be on the bench. I think it's fine. But just a few moments later, she would sulk over and she would say, you weren't watching. You weren't watching. You're you're always on your phone or you're not paying attention. You see, what she really wanted me to do... um, She wanted me to look, because that's what she said. She wanted me to look, but she wanted me to keep on looking because she had a whole routine. (laughs) She had a whole routine. She wanted my active engagement and participation with her. She wanted me to participate in her joy, Um, but I was too busy. I had too many things to do, at least I thought. I was busy with my own things to share in her joy and to be present with her. Um, a friend of mine used to have this practice with their kids um, that Sunday for their family would be a different kind of day. Uh, Sunday would be a bubble tea day. Uh, Sunday would be a day they would go out and maybe get an ice cream or um, some other special treat. Um, on Sunday, uh, their family set up this ethos where they would be very intentional about being together because Sunday was supposed to be different. At least that's what they were trying to do. It was holy. It was set apart. The kids definitely wouldn't use that language, but they would feel it. At least that's what the parents were hoping to do. Their parents would be more present to them. Um, Leisure would be closer at hand, and their relationships and connection with one another would be prioritized over work or packing their schedules. This family... uh, Tried. They were were seeking to to enter that rest, to create an atmosphere that honored God and honored Sabbath. Um, I was younger at the time, so I didn't really get why they were doing this. Um, But as I was preparing this week, I reflected on that. Huh. What does that look like for us as a church? Can we imagine a time that we as a community Set aside time to be present with each other, like really present, not just, just, not just turning your head and nodding and say, like, oh, I see you. <laughs> a time where we practice loving one another, where we collectively choose to pay attention to one another's monkey bar routines. Uh, not literally, or literally if we're at a playground, I guess. Um, or even if we've seen someone do something a million times, that we, we're still paying attention to them. I think this is what we often long for. We, we want that kind of connection. And sometimes we try to do it by just getting a lot of little connections, but we want deep connection. Can we as a community set aside time, a Sabbath, holy to the Lord, where we attend to God's image in each one of us, that we would be fully present with you, with one another? Sometimes Sunday becomes a day where Another failure of mine where, where I tend to schedule things that I can't fit on a regular weekday. Um, and it pulls me away from being wholly present with all of you. Um, it's almost like if you sit with someone at a cafe or, or you meet with someone, um, and the whole time you're with them, they're, they're checking messages or scrolling through stories. I don't know how it, that kind of works for the younger generation. It seems like accepted almost. I, I hope that it doesn't become fully accepted. Um, but they're like, you know, they're, they're just scrolling through while you're, while you're talking or trying to engage. And I think sometimes when we come to church, sometimes, and I'm, I'm probably part of this as well, sometimes it feels that way. We're physically present with each other, but our hearts and our minds are, are busy on the next thing, where we have to go to after. Um, I fall short in this area. I need, I need to realize that my Sabbath honoring affects you. Um, Do you know that your Sabbath honoring also affects those around you? None of us are alone in this. We often say that the Christian faith is not a faith that you can practice alone. What makes you think you can practice Sabbath alone? When we engage in Sabbath presence with God and with one another, others around us recognize that effect. I know we have it to some degree, because I know when sometimes people visit, they're like, there's something different about this community i know we have it to some degree but my encouragement to you from this second point as we try to imagine is how can we deepen that that observance together as a people let us strive to practice sabbath together encouraging one another so that we can practice just being together not not rushing off to other things verse 11 says let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one no one around us not even ourselves may fall by the same sort of disobedience and finally um, why is jesus essential for practicing sabbath rest now knowing jesus is essential because without him the very striving for rest can make us individually and collectively i would say restless um Even as I was preparing this sermon, um, I could hear the accusations in my head. Well, well, Norman, where are you going after church? (laughs) Um, Or what kind of atmosphere are you creating? It isn't—it isn't inviting anyone at all. Like I I can hear the accusations. Just in—you can't preach this. You can't even do this yourself. Um, And I have to admit that that's true. I I I can't do this. Um, The Bible outlines this truth that we already know intuitively, deep down about ourselves that our very natures work against this this good that God has given us. The Pharisees understood the communal nature of Sabbath, but even in their well-intentioned, meticulous ordering of their lives to follow God's way, they turned this gift of God that was supposed to be practiced with joy into a burden. Because Church, if the, if the law leads us, if we try to will ourselves to do do things, if we if we lead with that, we will no doubt follow in the footsteps of these Pharisees that we find in the Gospels and become a burden to one another. We will be more concerned about whether or not someone is doing Sabbath, crossing all their T's, dotting all their I's, whether they're enough, whether our practices are are restful enough. Um, if our neighbors' practices are up to par, you know we'll we'll start checking each other, rather than showing grace. And the Sabbath becomes a burden rather than a gift. Jesus knew this. He knew that we couldn't follow Sabbath perfectly. We would always self-destruct, and the scriptures tell us we always self-destruct our Sabbath practice because of sin. The nature of the human heart is one of rebellion. The Bible tells us it's it, the nature of the human heart is one of rebellion against God. Our sin always leads us, even with our best intentions. And you've probably experienced this if you've tried to do anything good. It doesn't last. Our sin always leads us away from God and to death. Jesus knew this. So Jesus came to take the consequence of sin for us. You see, on the cross, the message of the gospel is that on the cross, Jesus took the burden of sin that should have been ours, and he gave us his way of life, his his life, that we could live God's way without worry about whether or not we'll be good enough to satisfy the demands of the law, because he, God God in Jesus Christ, Jesus is good enough. The Bible tells us not to trust in our ability to obey the Sabbath, but to trust that Jesus is able. Jesus is able. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And how do we know that he is able? How do we know that he is enough? What in the Christian faith convinces us that trusting Jesus is better than trusting, than trusting ourselves? Because most of the time we're trusting ourselves six days out of the week, kind of, maybe seven. How do we know that we can trust Jesus, that he is really able? In the Christian faith, we know, this, we know he is able because he rose from the dead. You see, church, of, of all the things that we, gra- we, we ground our faith in, it's, it's that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is how we know we can trust him. It's the foundation of, of our faith. It's the foundation of our practice. Trust him. Trust him. Because of Jesus, we can strive. We can do what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do, strive to enter that rest without that striving becoming a burden. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, the same hardness of heart against God's way of rest. People of King's Cross, can we strive into that together knowing that Jesus has already made it, he's already, he's already completed the requirements of the law. It's my hope for us as a church that we will. Um, I know trying to start something as a group is very hard, um, we can't do Sabbath alone. If any of you are trying to, or if you've tried to in the past, you know you can't do it alone. It's my hope that our practice together we're one will be one where we could be fully present with each other, that, we'll, that our atmosphere as a church will change more and more, that we can be present. That someone walking off the street, coming in into a community group or to, into our worship service or into our mingling three-minute period will be like, these people are present with each other. They're not distracted. They're not scrolling through their feeds. They see one another because they see the image of God in one another. What can we do to be together? Um, just a few practical ideas. I know it's the end of the year, so maybe I'm maybe I'm seeding these ideas because I know on January 1st, we start thinking about things. So let me just try some pre-inception for us as a church. Um, what can it look like for us to enter into the rest knowing that Jesus has made it possible for us to do so? Um, maybe it could be making a regular practice of sharing an afternoon together after service. I know sometimes we rush off to things. I, I know my family does that often um, without feeling Maybe it's to share the afternoon together without feeling the need to be elsewhere or to plan places to go together. Uh, maybe it could be engaging in communal practices uh, throughout the week that would inform our actual face-to-face time together. Just a, a few ideas. Um, I know there is a daily meeting um, in the Fortnite group. Um, it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's a... It started as a running joke, but it is now just a reality. <laughs> Um, and i and I'm, I'm 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 grateful that that we meet um that you connect um that it that it forms some of our connection in face to face um but i know that's not for everyone I, i'm not a gamer um, but would, would as a pastor i can offer a few other things um maybe starting in the new year we could have like a church-wide bible reading plan this is what pastors offer um but genuinely I I I do think it'd be good to to be able to read through things in the Bible together and then when we come together on Sunday know that when we're talking to someone that there's a high chance that they might have read that too and we hear God speaking to us throughout the week and we hear God speaking to one to us through one another as we meet um I know a few people have uh wanted have have mentioned a desire for communal prayer reg- more regular prayer meetings more Bible studies together. These are ways that we can be present with one another and with the Lord. Um, I'll just seed those things there for the upcoming year. Um, if, you don't, if you just stand still and, and you don't think about anything, I hope these ideas come to mind like, oh, in addition to Fortnite, I also want to read the Bible. I also want to pray with others. Um, so as a church, as we're closing the year, we have, a, we have another service next week before... Um, our pods, which we'll talk about at the end. Sorry, um, my hope is that we'll think about ways that we can practice Sabbath together. Let us enter the gift of Sabbath by being present with one another, because especially in this season, we remember that we have a God who is present with us. We have a God who is present with us, fully present, Emmanuel, not watching from afar, tilting his head and nodding, and then going off to his own business. We have a God who is fully present. He moved into the neighborhood. He put on our flesh, a God who came to share our very existence, our joys and our pains. And we remember that every week as a church at this table, we remember a God who is with us, Emmanuel, who who starts the way so that we can follow after him in entering rest. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this also in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.